Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Hey, welcome to Central Christian Church Online. We're so thankful that you've tuned in as we continue our study through this amazing book known as the Book of of Romans. The Book of Romans was written to the church in Rome by the pen of the Apostle Paul himself. And and many claim this to be the most most epic letter in the entire New Testament. Some claim to be the most important letter ever written in the history of Humanity. Here's what uh, some great men of faith throughout generations have said. Martin Luther said, Romans is the truest masterpiece of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. It can never be too much or too well studied. So we're going to study it well. William Tyndale said this epistle, referring to Romans, is the principle and most excellent part of the New Testament and most pure gospel and a light and away unto the whole scripture. It was John Calvin who said, if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, referring to Romans, we have an open door to the most profound treasure of scripture. R.C. Sproul says, no book has had such a powerful impact on my life as the book of Romans. And it's Dr. Tony Evans that says Romans is the constitution of the church. So men of faith from from generation after generation after generation have turned to this book, this incredible book, the book of Romans, to get sound doctrine, to get firm footing for their faith, for their life, and for the church. And so today we're going to wrap up Romans chapter 4, and uh, this is our fourth week really diving into this doctrine known as justification. And what does that mean, and how does that impact us? And, and again, this is week, week number four, so if you're just tuning in with us, uh, we're welcome to go back and, and check out our podcast and, and listen to those, those teachings, or you can jump on YouTube, or, or you can download the, uh, the Central Christian Church app, and there you can find uh, my teaching notes, you can refer to those, there's a, an archive of those two, so you can go back and look at, at previous week's notes, and, and we just want that to be a resource to you. We believe it can help you as we continue to unpack God's Word and learn more about this incredible, incredible God uh, through this incredible book of, of Romans. And so we've been learning uh, that justification, this, this, is, this is wonderful, wonderful news. It's the best news. It's the foundation of our faith, and really everything else in Christianity is built upon this fundamental understanding of how we can have right relationship with God. So here's the definition we've been talking through, and that is justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sin and then imputes, and that's a theological term that simply means to credit, uh, to assign to them the righteousness of Christ when through faith they believe. At the moment of salvation, three things take place. Number one, you are forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin and your transgressions from you. And that's amazing news. And for some of us, it feels even more amazing because you know how royally you've blown it. Like we, we're, we feel buried uh, by the, the consequences of our sin. But at the moment of salvation, sin's forgiven. That's amazing, but that's not where it ends because then he imputes, he credits, he assigns to you, not your own righteousness, 
not what you deserve, but he credits to your account the righteousness of Christ. Can you believe it? So now, on the cross, Jesus was treated as your sins deserve. So now, because you've been justified, you are now treated in the eyes of God as only Jesus Christ deserves. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not a righteousness of your own, but the righteousness of Christ. And that, friends, is good news. And all that's yours through faith when you believe. That takes place at the moment of salvation, this beautiful transaction that is too good for words to be able to accurately articulate. It was on October 31st, 1517, when a priest, a scholar by the name of Martin Luther, approached the doors of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed a piece of paper containing 95 revolutionary opinions that would ultimately launch the Protestant Reformation. Up until this point in history, it was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church simply means universal church. And there was one universal church. But what would ultimately launch uh, uh, Lutheran churches, what would ultimately launch Presbyterian churches and Christian churches and Assemblies of God churches and Baptist churches was this, this 95 thesis that Martin Luther nailed to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And his primary driver, his primary focus that, that, that sparked this, 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 this revolution, that, that sparked this, this Protestant Reformation was, was this, justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. This is the Latin phrase. This is, this is our is justification by faith alone. Alone. This is what Martin Luther kept banging the drum on. Religiosity had gripped the church. Priests were teaching that, hey, if you want to be made right with God, you got to do this. And once you do that, then you got to do this. And if you want to be made right, then you got to do this. And oh, your loved one died. Well, you can help him, but here's what you got to do to help him. And there's all these rules, all these man made regulations. And it was a dark, dark season in the church. But Martin Luther and other men of faith had the courage to stand up and say, this isn't right. We got to get back to a biblical understanding of how we can have relationship with God. And Martin Luther was banging the drum. It's not by works. You can't earn it. Salvation's justification by faith alone. Faith plus anything else is worthless. Martin Luther was so convinced that justification was the bedrock of Christianity that he made this statement, justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. And I would just make it personal for you. I would say justification in your life is by which you will stand or you will fall. An understanding, a biblical understanding of what does justification mean? How does it impact my life? It will determine your eternal destiny. It will determine if you stand or if you fall. It will determine if this church stands or if the church falls, because here's the reality. You are the church. I am the church. And to the degree we grasp this will be the degree that we have a healthy, firm foundation for our faith. So the issue in this passage that we're going to be looking at today as we close out Romans chapter 4 is what does justification, what, what, is, what does faith look like that, that is justified? 
What does justifying faith look like? And as a a case test, again, in Romans 4, Paul has been talking to us about the faith of our father, Abraham. He's going to continue to talk to us about Abraham's faith and how was his faith on display in his life. And as we study our text today, there are three truths that Paul wants us to see about living a life of faith. And the first truth is this, faith receives God's promise. Faith takes hold of God's promise. Here's what Paul says in Romans 4, 13 through 15. It it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they would be, be heirs of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, There is no transgression. Two questions as we start diving into this text. The the first is this. How did Abraham and his offspring take hold of the promise? Was it by observing the law? No, Paul says, no, it wasn't by observing the law that they they, they received the promise that they would inherit the world. But but through righteousness, how do they receive that righteousness? By faith. And this is what we're going to see over and over through this text. You you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it, but you take hold of it by by faith. Then it says this, it it wasn't just for Abraham, but also his offspring. So who's Abraham's offspring? Is is it Abraham, then his son Isaac, then his son Jacob? Is it it more encompassing than that? Is it limited to to that? Who's Abraham's offspring? If you've been in church uh, for a while, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you, you went to something that we used to call Sunday school class or kids' church. Uh, maybe you've heard this song about this man named Abraham. And honestly, there's quite a few kids' songs that are sung that aren't necessarily theologically sound, uh, but this one's solid. And so we're going to sing it today. If you're not familiar with it, you're going to learn it. If you have heard it, this, this might draw back some memories from uh, from felt uh, bored Jesus lessons in Sunday school class. Here it is, uh, Father Abraham. Here's what it says. If you know it, feel free to sing it with me. It says, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Then you start swinging your right arm. Then you sing it again, Father Abraham. I'm not going to sing it again, though. But then you go like right hand, let almost do the hokey pokey. Put your left foot in, your right foot out. Like, then you turn around, then sit down. But, but it says this, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And check out this theological bedrock understanding that we're talking about today. I'm one of them. And check this out. He says, so are you. And when we understand that I'm one of them, I've been adopted, I'm an heir of the promise, it results in this next line, let's just praise the Lord because we don't deserve it, I didn't earn it, but we're heirs of the promise. Can you believe it? And this teaching is not just based on a kid's song, but check out what the Bible says also in Galatians 3.29. It says, and if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The case Paul is making to the Galatians and the case he's making to the Romans is that anyone who has the faith of Abraham is now a descendant of Abraham's faith. They are his 
his offspring. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an offspring of Abraham and heirs of the promise that Abraham received. Did you know that? It's amazing, amazing truth. And what we find in this text is that there are, are two possible futures for everyone. Two possible futures for you, two possible futures for everyone listening to this podcast or watching this YouTube or, or watching on, on live, live platform, however you're, you're downloading this content. Listen, there's two futures for you and maybe everyone else, including everyone else that, that's alive today or listening to this. And the first future is, is this, that, that you can be an heir, you can inherit God's promise. You can inherit all the goodness of God in your life. You can inherit justification. You can have experienced forgiveness. You can, you can have the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account. You can be justified by grace through faith alone. And as a result of that, God does not treat you as your sins deserve. He treats you as only Jesus deserves. And you get the benefits of being a son or daughter of God, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And I would just submit to you this, if that's in your camp, if that, that's where you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a son or daughter of Abraham, you're his descendants, you're heir of the promise, check it out. This life is as bad as it gets. It only gets better from here, friends. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life's thrown at you. Maybe you're having a hard time. Listen, take heart. This is as bad as it gets. The other camp, though, if you are not having the faith of Abraham, you're not, not following in those footsteps, you're not an heir of the promise, then you will inherit not the promise of God, but you'll inherit the wrath of God. We've talked about this in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. If you're with us, we, we, we kind of almost like a mini-series on the wrath of God. And what Paul does in chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Romans is he builds this case, not just against a few people, but against all of humanity and how all of us have been broken by sin. And our sin has actually separated us from God because God's holy and now we are very unholy. And so we can't, we can't have relationship with him because we violated his clear commands Unless someone steps in and pays our fine, unless someone steps in and takes the penalty that you and I owe. And ultimately, that's what Jesus does on the cross. And so people who, who are sent to hell for all eternity, it's not because God wants to send them there. It's simply they just wanted to do things their own way. They didn't want to bend a knee and have any authority over them. They wanted to be authority in and of themselves. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. And then so for all of eternity, they will be separated from God. And that's what the Bible clearly lays out for those people this life is as good as it gets just need to know it only gets worse from here and some people say well I don't I don't need Jesus I'm a I'm a good person I, I think I do I do good things and Paul addressed that already in chapter 2 of Romans but now he addresses it again in Romans chapter 4 as well here's what he says Romans 4 15 it says it says because the law brings wrath and so, so the law doesn't save us, but the law actually reveals how we've broken God's heart, how we've violated what God desires. And so, so the fact that people would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't, I don't cheat, I don't do any of those things. So I think I'm good with God. The fact that that individual says, hey, I know right and wrong, but there are other parts of the life where they violated their own standards of right and wrong. What Paul says in chapter two is that very thought is what's gonna condemn them. And now he's saying, hey, the law brings God's wrath. And where there is no law, there is no 
transgression. Now, this is not saying that, hey, before, before the law was given to humanity, the sin didn't exist. We know that not to be true. Like in Genesis chapter three, sin enters the picture as the, the first man, first woman were deceived by the enemy and, and sin enters our, our human condition. And everything's been broken ever since. He's not talking about, about that, that where there's no law, there is no transgression. But, but here's what he is saying. Yeah, I don't know, maybe you've, you've experienced this. Have you ever had someone say, hey, don't do that? Hey, hey, that one thing, don't do it. And maybe you never thought about doing that thing until they said, don't do it. And then what's your natural thought go to? Maybe I should do that. Uh, for example, uh, if we're having people over to the house, uh, my wife, Tiffany, she's awesome. She wants the house to be clean. Uh, before guests get there, she'll, she'll probably be making stuff in the kitchen, have some snacks out on the, the table. And, and she'll often say, hey, Tim, kids, we got appetizers out on the table. Don't eat them until the guests arrive. Well, I was outside doing something else and I didn't even think about eating anything until she said, don't eat it. And then where did my mind go? A whole lot of reasons why I should break that law. Well, what, someone's got a sample it. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hungry. Well, what, I don't want to get here and pig out. Like, I think I, I'm, that's it. I'm going to go eat whatever she said don't eat. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. But whenever the law enters the picture, it reveals to us what's already in the human heart. And that is a rebellious heart. I have three kids, my wife and I, we have three kids together and, uh, and they're awesome. We got two boys and a little girl. Uh, here's, a, here's a picture of them. Uh, this is Cannon Drake and Elsie's, uh, she's awesome. We got two boys and boys are great. If you have boys, you know they're wonderful. Uh, you can wrestle with them, go hunting with them, go fishing with them, do sports with them, uh, play video games, uh, make bodily noises that they think is hilarious. Uh, boys are great, but there's something about a baby girl I mean, she, Elsie came out and like, she just had me wrapped around her finger from day one. She's daddy's girl and she's a joy bomb. Elsie just brings joy everywhere she goes. She's never, she's, oh, it's always sunny when Elsie wakes up. Like she's just a happy, happy, joyful girl. If I'm going to run errands, Elsie's in. I might be going, Elsie, I'm going to the post office. You want to go? Yeah, dad, let's go. She's up for adventure. The boys... They just, no, I'm going, I don't want to go to the post. Elsie just wants to spend time with me. That's my girl. And I love her. She's a joy bomb, joyful always. But there's something that might come as a shock to some of you. And that is that this sweet little girl also has a very spicy side. And you, this might come as a shock, but just this week, I don't have to reach too far in the past to tell you a story about how Elsie, we're getting ready for school this week. And, and I'm doing stuff in the kitchen and I turn around and here's sweet little Elsie, my joy bomb. She turns to her brother, punches him. I'm like, Elsie, don't do that. Like, why'd you punch? Don't punch your brother. Like one, he's bigger than you. He can pound you. It won't end well for you. Two, it's not nice. Don't do that. So I go back, I'm fixing some stuff, getting ready for school, getting ready for work. Next thing I know, Elsie walks by her brother carrying her plate to the, the counter. Boom, punches him again. And so I pull Elsie aside before she experiences the wrath of her just judge. And, and I, I just talk to her and say, sweet Elsie, what's going on? Did, did you hear me say don't hit your brother? Yeah, dad, I heard you say that. Elsie, did you hit your brother? Yeah, yeah, dad, I did. I hit him. 
Well, Elsie, help me understand. Why would you hit your brother? Well, Daddy, I just wanted to. <laughs> I just wanted to. She just wanted to punch him. Something inside of her said, this is a good idea to punch somebody. All to highlight. She gave voice in that moment to what's inside of your heart, to what's inside of my heart. I just wanted to. It's not that we don't understand what God desires. It's not that we don't understand right from wrong. The fact of the matter is there's some times in life where I just do what I want to do, regardless of what God says, regardless of what people say, regardless of what I know to be right and wrong. And the reality is you do the same. And so how can we as people with that human condition be made right with God by keeping a law that only highlights what's in our heart. The, the law doesn't save us. The law reveals how unsaved we actually are and how desperately we need a savior, even my sweet little Elsie Brynn. So if we're not saved by keeping the law, but rather the law points out how unsaved we, we really are, how can we take hold of the promise? How, how can we be made right with God? We're going to read this in, in Romans 4, 16. When I get to the red words, help me out with this. Read it out loud wherever you are. It says, it says that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. Faith. How are we made right with God? Not by keeping the law, by faith. The faith. We share the faith of our father, Abraham. Now, now Paul's going to turn and point out what is the faith of Abraham? How did Abraham live this life of faith? How was Abraham justified? How did Abraham receive a righteous, not, not his own? What does that kind of faith look like? Here's what he says in Romans 4, 17 through 21. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Wow, that's faith. Here's, well, we could break this down. We don't really have time to do this, but, but I just want to highlight what this text just told us. What, 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 what was faith like for Abraham? It was a faith that hopes for things not seen. It believes in promises not yet fulfilled, endures heartache without weakening in faith, trust even when it cannot see, obeys even when obedience does not make sense, grows strong in the midst of deep trial, honors God through every season. That's faith. 
That's the faith of Abraham. And what Paul's saying, when you and I live faith, we have faith like that, we trust God in seasons like that, then we're heirs of the promise along with Abraham. And what was God's promise to Abraham? I will bless you and I'll make you a blessing. Faith receives God's promise. Faith calls attention to God's character. The second point is that faith calls attention to God's character. Let's look at it again in Romans 4, 18. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Here's the question. What does that mean? How do you hope against all hope? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. How do you hope against all hope? I think it means that in the midst of what many would say is hopeless situations, you have hope, not because the situation looks hopeful, but because you're able to look beyond the situation to the God of all hope. And he is your hope, not your circumstances. When circumstances look hopeless, we don't fix our eyes on our circumstances. We fix our eyes on the God of all hope. When the doctors say there's no hope, when that person who shows that you love shows no sign of ever turning their life over to God and it feels like there's no hope, where do you let your eyes rest? Here's this Abraham's situation. Here's, here's the, the hopeless situation against all hope. What does that mean? Here's what it means for Abraham. Verse, verse 18 and 19, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said, so shall your offspring breed. Check this out in verse 19. Without weakening his faith, he faced the facts. Here's the deal. Faith doesn't ignore the facts. Faith doesn't, faith doesn't just walk around saying, there, everything's good. I think I'm great. There are no problems. I feel great. I feel good. I feel wonderful. I feel great. I feel good. I feel wonderful. That's not faith. Faith looks at the facts. Abraham faced the facts that his body was as good as dead. How much hope is there in, in a dead body when the promise is you're going to have a newborn baby, but your body's as good as dead since he was about 100 years old? What? Not a lot of hope there. Not only that, and that Sarah's womb was as good as dead. Didn't ignore the facts, acknowledged the facts, but didn't camp out there. When you have a promise in the midst of hopeless circumstances, you can live with a holy boldness. You can live with peace that makes no sense because your hope is not in your circumstances. Your hope is in the God of the promise. Your hope is in the God of all hope. Abraham in hope believed. Abraham heard the promise and said, God, if you said it, then that settles it. God, my, yes, my body is 100 years old. Yes, my body's as good as dead, but God, you said it, so that settles it. Yeah, my wife, her womb is as good as dead. We've been trying to have a baby our whole life, but God, you said it, so that settles it. I'm not ignorant to the facts. I'm very aware of the character of the one who made the promise against that back drop, the black, dark, hopeless backdrop against all hope. 
Abraham, in hope, believed. Why did he believe? How did he believe? He trusted the character of the God who made him the promise. Faith calls attention to God's character. Romans 4, verse 20 through 22 says, yet he did not waver through unbelief. Think about his circumstances. God made him a promise. Everything he could see. Imagine all the voices. Abraham walking around. We're about to have a baby. Abraham, you're about to die. What are you talking about? You're having a baby. He didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. In the midst of what many might say is a hopeless situation, cling to the promise and experience a boldness and a peace that makes no sense. You live with hope against all hope. Hang on to the promise. Cling to the promise. If you haven't got a promise, talk to God about your situation. Abraham and Sarah, they've been talking to God about their current circumstances for for, for decades probably. And then all of a sudden, one day, God gave them a promise. Maybe some of you watching this, you've been praying for that son. You've been praying for that daughter. You've been praying for that situation for years. Listen, don't give up. Today might be the day you get the promise. Today might be the day God speaks to you about that situation. Press in, lean in, wait to get a promise. Abraham didn't waver in unbelief because he had had a promise that God would do what he said. He knew God was not a man that he should lie. He didn't ignore the facts. He acknowledged the facts, but he realized God said it, so that settles it. And this is, this is, this is, This is true for you. He didn't say, well, God, my situation, it's too hard for you to handle. Or God, who am I that you're mindful of me? No, no, no. God sees you. God knows you. He delights in the details of your life. Keep believing for the promise. Listen, the more you do that, here's what happens. The more you walk in faith, the stronger your faith grows. The stronger your faith grows, the more you're able to trust God. The more you're able to trust God, the more you, you put his glory on display. And the more you put his glory on display is the more you live in that sweet spot of life. Where you feel like, man, this is what I was made for. God, this is, this is, what, I, this is what I was created to do. Verse 21 says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why. It was credited to him as righteousness. But righteousness wasn't just credited to Abraham. Righteousness can be credited to you, to me. Faith receives God's promise. Faith calls attention to God's character. Faith counts us in on God's goodness. Counts us in on God's goodness. Some people are like, well, I don't think I deserve God's goodness. Well, Well, praise God. God doesn't give us goodness because we deserve it. He gives us his goodness because he's good. God is good. God does good. God displays good. I once heard a a pastor say, uh, when I'm counseling people, I ask them if they're Christians. And if the response is, yeah, I'm working on it. He says, then I know they have no understanding of what Christianity is all about. Because you can't work for it. You can't earn it. If, if, if someone asks you, how are you doing your Christian walk? Say, well, I'm, I'm really working on it. Listen, it, you can't earn right standing with God. It's salvation by grace through faith alone. The gospel is not about what I can do. It's all about what Jesus can do. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
it was finished. I can't add to his finished work. I can't take away from his finished work. I can just take hold of it. I can rest in it by faith. Romans 4, 23 through 24 says this, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, check this out, but also for us. Sometimes, if we're honest, we can, we can look at Abraham and say, wow, like that's stained glass type faith. Like that's a faith that I really look up to, but a faith that I'm not really sure that I could ever attain. That's a faith that I'm not really sure that could ever apply to me. That's a faith that I'm not sure I could ever really live out. It almost feels impossible. The enemy would love for you to think that. To think that Abraham lived something that is impossible for you. But listen, the same faith that saved Abraham is the same faith that saves you. The same God that made a promise to Abraham is the same God that wants to make a promise to you. The same righteousness that was credited to Abraham's account and gave him right standing in the eyes of God is the same righteousness that's available to you today. The righteousness that can be credited to your account in a moment, in a moment of putting your faith in God and all that Jesus did for you. So he, so he says, says, these words, it was credited to him, wasn't just written for, for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. How do we experience that? How can we take hold of, of that righteousness? We, we can't, we don't work for it. We don't earn right standing with the God of the universe. How do we, how do we take hold of it? He says, says, it's for us who believe, believe in him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's credited through faith. Romans 4, 24 through 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised to life, here it is, for our justification. There's the word we've been unpacking throughout this whole chapter. He was raised to life for your justification. It's good news. It's the best news. Do you realize that Jesus went to the cross? His dying was in your place for your sin. Have you personalized that recently? Have you thought about that this week? Do you realize that it was your sin that held him there until it was accomplished? Do we realize it was my thoughts? It was my words. It's what my hands have done that led to the cross for my trans trespasses. It, it held him there. Justification, though, this, it offers a better reality. And here's what takes place. Here's what that means. Here's the definition again. Justification is the act of God where he forgives what my thoughts have thought, what my words have said, what my hands have done. He forgives the unsaved person. And then he assigns to me, to you, the righteousness of Christ. How? When through faith we believe. That's the gospel. Romans 4, 24 through 25 again says he was delivered up, hung on the tree, hung on the cross. Why? For our trespasses that resulted in his death. On, in his death, he dies a death that you deserve, that your sins deserve. He lived a perfect life, did not deserve it, but he stands in the gap to pay your penalty, to pay your fine, so that now you can have a right relationship with God. He was delivered up for our trespasses, and it didn't just end there. He was raised to life for our justification. Scholars call this the great exchange. You don't deserve it. 
You deserve wrath, but in exchange for wrath, he gives you the righteousness of Christ. That's why it's called good news. He took your wrath so that now you can put on his righteousness. It's the greatest exchange you've ever heard of. It's the greatest news anyone could ever receive. It's the best news, the best reality that anyone could ever embrace. And have you embraced it? Have you experienced this? Trespasses forgiven, justification secured, sins forgiven as far as the east is from the west, Christ's righteousness now dumped into your account. How do you do it? By faith when you believe. Here's the gospel message that we see throughout Romans. It begins with the fundamental understanding that, that we have been broken by sin, that, that, that sin's deceitfulness has ultimately corroded, erupted, our life. Romans 3.23 says, for all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. God has standards. He has laws. We've violated those laws. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. In and of yourself, no one here on earth has right standing with God, not even one. Not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, not the nicest person you can think of. No one has right standing with God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he wants you to have that gift. How do you embrace it? Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And here it is. You believe in your heart that the gospel is true. That God, he hung on the cross, Jesus died for your sins, but then God raised him from the dead. If you believe that, you'll be saved. And it's not just a going through the motions type of a belief. It's not just a cognitive belief, but belief results in action. It's evident throughout our life. We talked about last week, there's signs along the way that mark what we believe. We don't earn salvation, but once we believe that Jesus is who he said he was and we try to align our life to his life, that's what being a Christian is. It's, it's literally a little Christ. We're just trying to follow his example. And that's evident with our lifestyle. That's evident with our words. That's evident with our attitude. That's evident with the things we do and say and where we go. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Here's the promise. You'll be saved. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But check it out. That's something only you can do. I can't do it for you. I wish I could. Your mom can't do it for you. Your dad, your brother, your sister, your, si your son, your daughter. Like, it's up to you. So where are you at on that? How have you taken steps to embrace faith like Abraham? Sometimes we don't see it. But you've received a promise today. And here's the promise Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Take hold of that. Call out to God. Have a conversation with him. Let him know where you're at. And we want to help you on that journey. And so we got a text. You can, you can text us at 408-944-5402 if you want to start that journey with Jesus. Or you can email us at info at centralsja.org. We'd love to help you take steps in, in beginning a new relationship with God. As a matter of fact, it'd be our joy to do that.